Welcome to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues, Ocean River Shields of Achilles, with your host, Dr. Rob Moyer. Find out what others are doing and what you can do to create a greener and blue planet Earth. Now, here's Dr. Rob Moyer. Welcome. Today, we're talking about climate Armageddon. We're, having, we're going to hear some survivor accounts of surviving a Class 5 hurricane named Irma that swept through the British Virgin Islands. And my guest today is Angela Burnett. Hi, Angela. Hi, Rob. It's so great to be here on the show with you today. Well, uh, this is great. You're up here in the Northeast instead of being down at BBI. Um, uh, and I've had a chance to see you in person just a while ago. So this is really, I'm really glad we're um, getting a chance to tell our listeners about your uh, about your book and about these experiences. Uh, Angela yes. and I, no, I want to say who you are first. <laughs> uh, Angela sure. Burnett Penn is the climate change officer of the British gov- for the British Virgin Islands government. And uh, in your capacity is that um, you designed and implemented public education programming, conducted a vulnerability and capacity assessment of the tourist sector to climate change, you authored the territory's first climate change policy and yes. <laughs> managed local adaptation projects and helped lead the development of the Virgin Islands Climate Change Trust Fund. So you are like Indeed. a one-person band doing lots of things at once. And right. These are well, all I mean, I've, I've been in the program from the very beginning, about 10 years ago now, but I do now have some lovely assistance from my immediate supervisor, as well as uh, one of my co-workers. So we have a very, we have a small team that's very dedicated now to our fledging yes. climate change program. Well, you always were good at work, getting a lot done with just a few people. I, I met you about 10 years ago, I think. Um, yeah, uh, a longer, Institute, I believe. Yeah, when the Ocean River Institute came to the British Virgin Islands at the request of the Virgin Islands Environmental Council, the chief minister right. at that time, he, he, the guy granted permission to, you know, to construct a, a five-star hotel, a marina, and golf course on Beef Island. And uh, as you know, my listeners may not know, Beef Island is connected to Tortola by a bridge. And it's got the most mm-hmm. important mangrove system in the entire central portions of BBI. And all of Tortola's nine mangrove systems have either been uh, destroyed or negatively affected by development, and the island's right. fishery-protected area was in trouble, and the coral reefs were all threat- threatened by runoffs from the island and by a new big marina they wanted to put in and stuff. And this completed development, if it had gone through, would have had like 2,700 people. We required 415,000 gallons of water a day and generated 4.5 tons of solid waste. Not something right. you guys wanted imposed on your island. And so the Ocean River Institute, we gathered comments from thousands of individuals throughout the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and people voiced their concerns, and they wrote out their concerns to the ministers why this development must not happen. And uh, so I was able to bring all that stuff down, and I remember putting up a big binder and giving them to the ministers and, and putting one up in the library people could see and stuff. And um, right, yeah. we also raised you're... the funds. Yeah, go ahead. Now, just saying, I know that you are very active uh, in that in that initiative, in that movement, and you know, for us, it's, it's just about achieving that balance of 
development that will be positive for the economy, but also development that will be sensitive to our environment systems like our mangrove uh, systems, which are so important for fisheries and coastal protection and, you know, all of that. So it's about striking that balance. Exactly. And fortunately, we were able to raise the funds that you needed to bring in the barristers from London for the judicial review of the development decision that the chief minister had made. And fortunately, you know, it all came together. The Virgin Island Environmental Council won and Beef Island remains today undeveloped and wild. Right. That is true. So let's, let's turn to your book now. Well, yeah, and for me, reading your book, The Irma Diaries, is all the more meaningful and painful because I know the places of which you write. I can, I, I know, I can feel my legs walking down those hills, you know, get right. down to the beach yeah. and stuff. And, um, right. So it's just a and glance millions at the of others will share that experience experience that you're having when they read the book. You know, so many, so many of our visitors, so many of our tourists come from this New England, uh, greater northeast area and have, like you said, walked the streets, may, may even know some of the establishments and perhaps even some of the people that are featured in the Yama Diaries. Well, that's what I love about your book is I know the people. I, mean, I haven't met the individuals, but they are so true to the people that I do know of the island. They've got that island spirit you know, that right. the chips are down is very much alive in your stories. And the way that, you know, we survive yes. hard times by clinging to humor and, and grace right. and uh, right. uh, just phenomenal. Um, yes, this so is, thank I you. think these thank are the most intimate accounts, perhaps the only real first-hand accounts, but certainly very intimate um, accounts of how people actually survive the hurricane, you know, minute by minute. This book definitely takes you far behind the scenes, far behind the news headlines and the apocalyptic images that, you know, were all over the news, takes you way beyond those and into the actual hurricane experience, minute by minute. And like you said, the book does, I think, a really good job of preserving the characters. And these are whole people. I mean, even though the book is covering a very disastrous event, one of the things I like about the book is that it's quite rhythmic. You, you don't feel a sense of sadness all throughout the book. You know, you will cry at points, but you will also laugh. You will feel joy. You know, you will be inspired. So you go through, I think, the full range of human emotion as you go through the Oma Diaries and interact with these very real characters. Yes, absolutely. So tell us, um, from your perspective... Um, about the, the Irma coming and, and your survival through that? Sure. Well, as listeners might know and appreciate, you know, Irma was really a record-breaking hurricane. In fact, uh, it was a strong Category 5, sustained winds of 185 miles per hour, but regular gusts over, over, over 200 miles per hour, and that actually made Hurricane Irma the strongest hurricane ever at the time of landfall in the history of the Atlantic hurricane season. So what we experienced was unprecedented. I mean, I'm, I'm 32 years old, I will say openly, and I've been through a number of, you know, relatively strong hurricanes, categories 1 through to 5 now, but several category 2, 3, and category 4 events. I was um, just a little girl at the time of Hurricane Hugo, in 1989, which was a very strong Category 4. And I can tell you that I have never, ever 
experienced anything in my life close to the hurricane Irma experience. It was dreadful, it was terrifying, and the aftermath was, you know, completely shocking. I think all of us, for the first time, understood what that phrase, catastrophic damage, really means. You know, you see it with your eyes. Um, in my particular situation, I was I was with my mother at, at her home, and I remember her just being on edge the entire time, from the time the storm really began to step in, about how the windows were rattling. Now, we have a very uh, strongly built home. We have, you know, solid concrete block walls. We have solid wooden shutters. Uh, in fact, most times in a hurricane, we would actually just close our windows and doors in because they're solid wood and we would be fine. But in Irma, with it being a Category 5, we took the additional precaution of actually boarding up our wooden shutters and our, our wooden doors and windows, and yet the windows were literally uh, vibrating, and she was quite concerned. And I, I tried to comfort her by saying, you know, it's a Category 5, don't worry, things will rattle, but we'll be absolutely fine. And there came a point in the storm, I now know that it was about maybe 45 minutes before the eye came. We weren't anticipating the eye, I should say. That was a, a surprise to everyone. The storm was forecast to go a bit north of us. But about 45 minutes before the eye came, I had to first confess to myself and then to her, you know, hey, these doors and these windows really are rattling a little too much. So to cut a very oh. long story short, we literally both of us found ourselves pressed up against the doors that faced east, which was the direction that the storm first came from, literally trying to hold the doors in place with our, with our bodies and our hands. And I was convinced that any minute the doors would break apart. And I had already sort of concluded that, you know, the doors would break open, the roof would go next, we would lose everything, and um, we would have to just kind of run for shelter somewhere else. And so I said to her, listen, just give up on that door, at least get some garbage bags, come and put these photo albums, which were sitting right next to me, put them in a plastic bag, so at least we'll have those as memories. And that's just an, you know, a glimpse of my story, which is actually captured in the book as well, but it gives you an indication of sort of the intensity of the experience and what we anticipated. Fortunately, I literally came just in time to save our doors, um, so although we had a royal fight uh, with our windows and our doors, in the end we were able to, to save them and we just ended up losing a small section of roof. But our, our experience is nothing compared to what, you know, many people went through in Hurricane Irma. No, nothing. But still totally frightening in the, in the time. And Oh yeah, you know, and we just underestimate how many hours you were battling those doors and windows. I mean, this is a yes. long ordeal. This is a long ordeal. In fact, one of the very interesting things uh, when I was interviewing uh, one family in particular, they actually had a Haitian young man who was staying with them at the time, and he had lived through and survived the horrific 2010 earthquake in Haiti. And he actually said to them that his experience going through Hurricane Irma was worse than, you know, going through the 2010 earthquake. And at first I didn't, I couldn't understand that because, of course, you know, Haiti was even more devastated than we were 
from the earthquake and many more people had died and all of that. And he says, well, you know, in both experiences, it's about an equal level of fear when you're actually going through the motion of the disaster, right? It's, but the earthquake lasts maybe one to two minutes, whereas mm. the, the hurricane, you're, you're in that experience, in that level of fear, you know, the threat that anything could happen to you, you could lose your life, you don't know what's happening to your family members, your friends, your co-workers, and there's no way of finding out, uh, but you're in that hurricane for, you know, a good, maybe even close to 24 hours. I mean, the hurricane came in in the morning around 9 a.m., and it wasn't until we into the uh, early hours of the following morning that conditions really cleared up. That's right. And in the case you're talking about, the Haitian, you know, his hostess got pinned to the wall by another wall, and the, right. the wind wouldn't let up, and so it just, you know, he had no choice but to brute strength it apart somehow. And, and yeah. it wasn't like, you know, an earthquake would be over and then you recover or something. It was right. all the more frightening because there was no end in sight for that immense pressure on the, on, the, you know, on the woman there. Exactly. And there's some people who, you know, were injured fairly early on in the hurricane. I mean, I capture a few stories where people had serious injuries, head injuries, um, and, you know, you, you, there's that reality that you're literally trapped. There is no way to get to a hospital um, because the roads are all blocked, even if you could go out in 200-mile-per-hour winds. You know, the, the roads are dro- blocked with trees and falling poles. And so even for those people who did try to brave the, the root force of those winds and go and seek help, there was simply no way to get to help. So people literally waited out a full day plus before they got any sort of medical attention for what were very serious life-threatening wounds. Mm. So tell us a bit more about Gunpoint. Right. So Gunpoint, I actually happen to have a personal connection to this story. So this story features a family four generations, uh, the eldest being a darling 87-year-old, the great-grandmother of the family, uh, known as Miss Adeline. And I'm connected to this family because she happens to be my grandmother's, my late grandmother's best friend (laughs) when they were in, I Mm. think, primary school or high school. Uh, So Miss Adeline happens to be my mother's godmother. Uh, But the story came to me, not through that personal connection, but because of how severely devastated that particular home, unfortunately, was. So there's Miss Adeline, there's her daughter, Diane, uh, who both lived at the home, uh, which the story features. And then Diane had, has two daughters, uh, Tishan and Chelsea. And Chelsea had, I think, a four-year-old son, Micah. But those four generations in the home, and they also have a friend, um, a friend that was visiting and staying with them. And, you know, they had done everything right. They had gone to great efforts to secure their home. Uh, it was a two-story concrete uh, block structure. Uh, they had fastened all of their windows with hurricane shutters. They had prepared a safe room with all of the necessary supplies in the event that, you know, the worst had happened. So they were ready. These were not people that were not prepared. And literally you know, unexpected, their entire house, for the most part, disappeared around them. 
during the storm. So if I can, Rob, I would just like to le- read a short excerpt from that story that describes, you know, just a, a window, a glimpse into their experience. Please. Right. So this is, again, from the story Gunpoint. Water started pouring through the kitchen door as if a fire hose had been turned on outside. Instinctively, I attempted to keep pace mopping, but before long realized that that was pointless. Pacing the hall, Chelsea watched as the dark shadow beneath the door closed. Sorry, beneath the closed door to the bedroom disappeared and was replaced by light. She instantly understood the meaning of this silent warning. Oh my God! Chelsea's scream shattered the air above Irma's walls. With an animal-like protective instinct, Tishan yelled, Put Micah in the room! She immediately snatched him up and tossed him down the hall into the safe room. Thankfully, he landed on the bed and nestled next to his great granny. Christine and I scrambled behind Chelsea and Tashan into the safe room with only enough time to slam the door closed behind us before we heard what sounded like a massive explosion. In one fell swoop, everything north of that safe room, including the two bedrooms and the living room, was, was no longer standing, and the daylight, previously shut out by hurricane shutters, walls, and a roof, poured in. The house was an open altar. There was no time to take in what was happening around us, only time to save our lives. We put Mom and Micah as far back in the room as possible and immediately threw ourselves up against the doors. I held one door while Chelsea, Tashan, and Christine all pressed against the other door which faced the north. With the rooms beyond it gone, that door was taking the full force of Irma's wind. Peeping through the lever door into the kitchen, I watched as the wind and rain joined forces completely trashed our home. Nothing remained in its place. Even heavy bookshelves were hurled around like mat boxes. Not satisfied with the havoc she wreaked in every other room in the house, Irma wrestled ruthlessly to get into our safe room. I could feel the interior sheetrock wall of the room vibrating violently. I remember standing in fear that the wall would fall in and crush us. I looked across at Chelsea, and she was shaking like a leaf. Somehow, she said, I managed to appear calm. I think she best described how we all felt in that moment. That level of fear is equivalent to being held at gunpoint. So that's just the flavor of gunpoint. Oh, my gosh. Um, We're going to have to take a short break to recover composure, and we'll be right back after these messages. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. 
They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking with Angela Burnett. Angela, um, Hi. Hi. Where can people go for um, information like your website and, and uh, maybe you even follow along with some of your readings? Sure. So the Alma Diaries does have a dedicated website. It's just the name of the book. So it's www.theirmadiaries.com and Irma is spelled I-R-M-A. And there's lots to explore there. So there are actually sneak peeks from the book that are available through the website, many of the chapters you can actually go and preview. There's also a very fun interactive map. You can actually come right down to the British Virgin Islands virtually and you can click on the different uh, stories and there are 25 of them and explore them through pictures and you get a little blurb about what the story is about. Uh, there's a photo gallery there from Hurricane Irma. There's also some news clippings so you can get an appreciation for some of the impacts from the, from the hurricane. So there's a lot to explore at the Irma Diaries website. And, of course, you can get information about how you can actually get your hands on your very own copy of the Irma Diaries. 
Yeah, I recommend you, you get your own copy of the book. It's just phenomenal. It's got a wonderful cover picture of um, the storm track of a hurricane with a very clear and dramatic, you know, eye wall right. wrapped around, is, you know. That is literally Hurricane Irma as it sat over the British Virgin Islands. That's an actual infrared image that was taken at exactly 12.46 p.m. on the 6th of September. And, you, and again and again, they, t- they tell about how the, the winds picked up and it was the strongest, uh, and then there was an eye and it was calm. Right. And then it comes back fiercer than... And, and you can see that in that illustration of the bright right. yellow line wrapped around tight against the, uh, the kind of blue of the eye itself where it's not so windy. Yeah. Uh, and on the webpage, I had trouble finding the or coming back to the map. And so I think mm-hmm. the only way to do it is to go up in the left corner to the menu, a little bari thing or something, um, to bring down the, how to get to your map. But it's really worth exploring oh. the website. Uh, I don't know why you had that trouble. There's a tab called Interactive Story Map, and it oh, should always funny. be at the bottom of the um, it should always be at the bottom of the website. It's a link that you yeah. can get. Should oh, be able maybe to get to go down far Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a it's That's a yeah yeah scroll down all the way. Map. Uh, okay. Yeah. So if you have trouble finding it, you can always go to the menu in the left corner, the little bar thing. So there, t- there are right. two ways, or there are many ways, many ways to get there. Uh, it's just really nicely done and stuff. Right. Um, oh, I should tell people that there are also videos on the website as well. So there's a little video trailer for the Yama Diaries, and I've also been making videos of my daily experience along the USA Book Tour, which I will be uploading to the website as well. So there's lots of fun interactive content to engage with Yeah, there are the wonderful website. photographs of you traveling around the Northeast, going to different colleges right. and universities. <laughs> uh, it's so yes. good you did that. Um, but um, let's go back to gunpoint. Uh, that was uh, quite something. Oh, Is yes. there more and about you know, that the, story? Or, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, one of the points I want to make from that story, because it's one of the great lessons learned for me, and, you know, writing the Yama Diaries was sort of enriching on many levels, uh, not just getting to meet these amazing people, but the lessons that they shared with me, because that's one of the things I've captured in each of the stories, you know, what did you learn mm. from this experience? And some of the lessons learned are very practical ones that you might apply yourself in a disaster uh, event. And, you know, others of them are sort of bigger life lessons. And in Gunpoint, you know, that family literally lost everything. Uh, you know, they, they, they had very few possessions that they could walk away with from that experience. And... Surprisingly, uh, I, I have no idea what it is to lose everything, and you might think that people in that position might be very depressed and sort of, you know, upset with the universe that this has happened. But I'll just share very quickly what, you know, the, the homeowner in that position said. She said, valuable lessons, however, were learned in this experience, two of which I can recount right now. Firstly, your shelter, your home, your refuge should never be taken for granted. Secondly, you shouldn't fill it with clutter. I now live as lightly as I can. We definitely had too much stuff. We all do. Irma came to say, live a little lighter on the planet. As I rebuild my life, I will be very wary of the stuff I acquire along the way. 
So here is somebody who's just lost everything, and instead of pining, ab- pining about it, she takes the opportunity to sit back and reflect that, you know what, I had too many things, and this was really a good purging, a good cleaning out, and now as I rebuild, I'm going to be very careful about things that I acquire and you know, fill my home with going forward. Yes, and the life-saving aspect of that lesson is that many people would put themselves at great risk to hang on to a possession like a clothes washing machine or something. And um, (laughs) they didn't have that ability to let go, you know, and they would go out, you know, the flapping window, you know, a flapping shutter, I'm going to go fix that. And they put their life at risk or someone else's life at risk. And, uh, and that was the hardest thing for many people was to let go. Um, Yes. And then there is not have control. Yeah, yeah, so you that, it. No, could, yeah. Right, so that, okay. that was the experience of gunpoint, but there's so many, you know, every experience was, was different. That's the thing. And in the Alma Diaries, I really tried to capture sort of the full spectrum of experiences. Yes, you do very well. Tell us another one. Thank you. Sure. Well, why don't I take persons uh, inside the story body bag. Uh, So this is actually from the island of Anagata, which if people are familiar with the British Virgin Islands, you would know that Anagata is sort of uh, a bit out there on its own in two ways. One, it is the furthest away from the other islands of the British Virgin Islands. So it's set a bit north of the other islands. And it is also our only coralline island. The other islands are volcanic, which means that Anagata is as flat as a pancake. Uh, so this story is set in Anagata. Uh, it involves a fisherman by the name of Keith Lee Charles. And the island of Anagata, the, the people there were actually warned very uh, sternly to evacuate because Irma was accompanied by a 25-foot storm surge, which is higher than the highest point on Anagata. And so the expectation was that the island would literally wash over and that people would be swept out to sea. Now, some people like Keith Lee, uh, who were born and raised in Anagata, decided to stay. And in Keith Lee's case, he felt very confident, and he was actually correct. He felt very confident that the Horseshoe Reef, which is a major barrier reef, in fact, it's the third largest in the Caribbean, I believe, which stretches all along the coastline of Anagata, would protect Anagata even against a 25-foot storm surge. And I think that's one of the great lessons that has come out of um, Hurricane Oma for us, you know, the, the real significance and the real importance of natural systems like coral reef systems in protecting shorelines, even of low-lying areas in extreme events like this. So that's just a bit of a context um, for this story. And I will share with you, um, I'm going to dive right into the, the middle of this story. Uh, so we're at a point now where Keith Lee is about to flee his home because he literally sees the home starting to disintegrate around him. And so I'll, I'll jump right in at that point. As if to flaunt her powers still, before I could turn the knob and push the front door open, Irma caused the entire front wall of my house to fall on its face stringing a crisscross of electrical wires immediately in front of me. My instincts were now my only survivor kit. An autopilot and running like a supercomputer, my mind performed a million risk computations per second, 
and based on the results, quickly eliminated each of the five alternative shelter options that dangled in front of me like good bait on a hook. I was not about to be almost fresh catch of the day. I didn't know where I was running to, only that staying there was not an option. The only problem was that I was still barricaded in by falling electric lines. Are they alive or dead? I wondered. I spoke firmly to myself. If I'm going to die, I'll die trying. And so, counting on the fact that the power had been cut from the night before, and choosing to believe the answer that would allow me a chance to escape a certain fish trap, I took a gamble that they were dead, grabbed onto them, and quickly cleared them out of my way. Observing again the direction of the wind, I scrambled to the side of my fishing boat, Big Kid, where I sheltered for the next few hours. From there, I played student in Irma's short course in demolition, taught by her experienced instructors, with the remainder of my house sacrificed as the demonstration piece. Thankfully, Irma discarded the roof somewhere far beyond where I could see, and the four walls fell in whole pieces, saving me the additional horror of strips of galvanized and wood attacking me. It was Irma and me out there alone. I got to know her well. Her unforgiving strong winds that coated the air white. Her bullet-like currents of rain. Her wild temper and propensity for regular outbursts in which she would pick up and hurl anything. Her apparent disdain for trees and her eagerness to strip them bare or pluck them straight out of the ground just as easily as one might pick a flower. In such unfriendly company, I was forced to have many conversations with myself. On reflection, some of them made me laugh, but they were no light topics at the time, rather serious debates about the next best move to save my life. So that's just a glimpse of uh, Charles' experience, or Keith's experience, also known as uh, Charlie. You'd have to read the book to find out what, what happened and how he managed to eventually escape just, you know, being at the side of a fishing boat in the midst of a Category 5. And there's so many other incredible experiences. I can't, you know, unfortunately share from them all, but just to give us flavor of the types of uh, stories that are in here, there's a home that actually caught a fire in the midst of the hurricane uh, as a result of storm surge triggering fire, uh, vehicular fire that then spread to the home. And, you know, family oh having to, right, having to not just be in the midst of the Category 5 hurricane, but also negotiate their house being on fire. And, of course, there is no fire truck to call. You know, there is no help. There is no rescue. And so how does one uh, negotiate that? Uh, there's a gentleman who was not at home, was on duty uh, at the local radio station, in fact, covering Hurricane Irma. And you know, was there to receive phone calls and help the community by providing whatever information he could and ended up being seriously injured uh, at, the, at the radio station, actually a severe injury to his, to his face, to his head, and the adventure of him trying to get to the police station or the hospital or anywhere that he could receive some kind of treatment 
Uh, and so that's quite an incredible, uh, incredible story there. Then there are stories where people are literally swimming in or surfing in one case through 25-foot storm surge, you know, to try to save their lives because the communities where they've always, you know, rode out even the strongest hurricanes that we've had in the past were now just almost completely, you know, homes completely underwater because of the severity of the storm surge. So, I mean, the stories go on and on and on. But I think I have time, Rob, to maybe share from just another quick two, perhaps. Uh, Yes. Before you do that, though, um, we're going to have to take a short break, uh, and then we'll come back and do that. Um, Great. I do. I do want to clarify that though I love the humor, but the surfing was you know two people paddling on surfboards to get one yeah. place or another. They weren't actually hanging ten or anything dramatic. Like I'm <laughs> sure half of them would like to say afterwards they did, but um, right. it was remarkable the way they, they were. They if you were, if you know, literally paddling on surfboards as if they were going out to go and hang ten, right? If circumstances were different. <laughs> And they like to think of it as that they were surfing during Irma, and, and they are. They yeah. earned that, that ability to say that. Uh, yeah. And it's just that attitude of, you know, the way that um, the guy in Anagata was talking about being a fish on a hook and using, you know, in the midst mm-hmm. of all this incredible drama and, and terribleness, he's um, mm-hmm. got the presence of mind to compartmentalize it as just, it's just, I'm just a fish on the hook here and stuff. And, and right. uh, I exactly. really think it played a big role in helping people through these situations. Yes. So yes, we'll yes, take yes, a short yes. break and then we'll be right back. Sure. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Connecting local stewardship with global support, the Ocean River Institute is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work. We believe that many environmental issues can best be addressed by people taking action in their own communities and regions. It's not the large national entities, but the small, localized, or newly formed groups that often need help to achieve their goals. That's where the Ocean River Institute comes in. We maintain a network of eco-stewards and ORI partners, connecting them with resources and services to help them maximize their impact, expand their capacity, and weather unexpected setbacks. ORI actions and events offer opportunities to make a difference, to go the distance, and you can volunteer to be an ORI eco-steward. To discover more, visit us online at www.oceanriver.org. That's www.oceanriver.org. The Ocean River Institute is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people and groups make a difference where they live and work through environmental stewardship and science. On a Cape Cod shore, 16 striped bass fish and a horseshoe crab were found dead, killed by a harmful algal bloom. The town blamed excessive lawn fertilizer for polluting the water. They restricted lawn fertilizing to once a year. The state overruled, mandating five times a year. Though the striped bass died on a Falmouth shore, fertilizer pollution is a national problem, clogging our waterways. If you believe in our rights to clean water and beaches, if you want to stop the killing of fish by excessive fertilizer, 
advisor. Please join with us. Make a donation for responsible stewardship. Acting together, we can have clean beaches and more fish. Please visit www.donateforoceans.org. That is www.donate, the number four, oceans.org. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. To participate in today's discussion, you're welcome to call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email to rob at oceanriver.org. Now, back to Dr. Rob Moyer. Hi, we're talking to Angela Burnett, and Angela was, you were just telling us about um, the uh, radio announcer and his yes. uh, plight. Right. So, yeah, so that, his, he's a gentleman by the name of Dwight Pickering. Like I was saying, he was at the radio station really trying to be um, a point of communication for the entire community during Arma and ended up being quite severely injured and had this amazing journey of trying to, I should call it an adventure really, of trying to get some kind of medical treatment because he literally got slashed across his face uh, by a piece of roofing material that we call uh, galvanized or galvalume. And I think, you know, the message that Dwight shares from his Hurricane Irma experience is, is so crucial, it's so critical, and that's really, that's really the, the crux of... Um, all my diaries and why it was written. So I really want to read that um, message for you. So Dwight says, I hope Irma has taught us that it's time to get real about what's going on. Climate change will impact the intensity of hurricanes going forward. At the rate that we are going, Irma may be a kitten compared to something in the future. We need to take steps locally to adapt, and the world needs to act now to halt this assault on our climate and our lives. Hurricanes are a natural phenomenon. For the millions or billions of years that the planet has been in existence, there have probably been hurricanes. However, what we are facing now is, is as a result of our lifestyles. Our way of life on this planet is making us the agents of our own demise. We have to redouble our efforts to sensitize people and to get them to change. It may be a hurricane here, but somewhere else it's a forest fire, excessive snowfall, a flood, or a drought. Different expressions all connected to the same root cause. As the inhabitants and caretakers of this planet, I just hope that we all find it within ourselves to come to some consensus on making progress to ensure the survival of the planet and life on this planet. People, plants, animals, all life. We are digging our own graves. In the words of Bob Marley, it is time for us to wake up and live. 
So those are very powerful words, I think, you know, straight from Dwight. And he speaks truth. I mean, the science on this is extremely clear. I'll cite one uh, example. Uh, since Burma had the privilege of getting to know Professor Kerry Emanuel, he's a renowned professor at MIT, where he is a uh, professor of atmospheric science. He studies the physics of hurricanes, and he heads up their Lorentz Center, which is dedicated to understanding the science of climate change. And they've done some very interesting probability work. Uh, they have actually estimated the probability of a hurricane of Irma's magnitude or greater, and their results are just astounding. So in the year 1990, when I was just a little girl, the probability of an Irma-type event was only one in 800 in any particular year. By last year, 2017, that probability had increased exponentially to one in 180 in any particular year. And they estimate that by 2090, if we don't do something to address climate change by curtailing our greenhouse gas emissions, the probability will increase even further to one in 60 in any particular year. And it's not just the scientists at MIT. Scientists all across the world recognize the linkage between climate change, warmer planets, and stronger hurricanes. It's very simple physics. Warmer waters fuel stronger hurricanes. And like Dwight said, it may be a hurricane in the Caribbean, but climate change will trigger all sorts of extremes everywhere. It's it's really like, I like to say, Rob, it's a climate Armageddon. It's a whole new global war that every country will have to fight. You know, some countries are on the front line fighting many battles right now, but no country will, no country will escape this war. And the, the funny thing about this war, the strange thing, is that many people, unfortunately, are really oblivious to it. They, they don't uh, acknowledge climate change. Some people don't acknowledge it, don't accept it. Other people might believe that it exists, but it's not something that we pay a whole lot of attention to. And I understand how easy it is to be to feel disconnected from the issue of climate change. I think the history of communication on climate change has painted it as um, an issue that feels vague, a bit fuzzy, abstract. Uh, it's, you know, down the road, it's melting ice caps, it's it's polar bears, it's bleached coral reefs. It doesn't feel now urgent, uh, like a very human issue. Um, that's something that's happening now and hurting people. And so really the platform of the Alma Diaries, it's not just about sharing these incredible survivor stories. It's really trying to make very personal, meaningful connections to, to climate change that people get it, you know, what is it to, what does climate change mean? What is it, what is it to be on the front line? Because I think those connections are so critical for people to actually care about the issue, and I feel that once people care about the issue, we don't have to force action. People naturally act on things that they care about, and people care about things that they feel connected to. So that's really, uh, at, at the end of the day, the passion behind the Alma Diaries bridging personal connections to climate change. Well, your book does what science educators cannot do, is that you make it personal. And, yes, mm -hmm. you know, everyone goes, oh, yeah, British 
the British Virgin Islands, they know hurricanes. They call them by first names, and they personalize them, you know, and you guys right. are used to living with them. But it's a new hurricane. It's a Category 5. Oh, yes. This hasn't happened before. And people say, well, climate change is going to create more hurricanes. And no, the formation of hurricanes is this, that process of gyrating dust coming off, the sea, off of Africa and stuff. That stays the mm-hmm. same, and the tracking of hurricanes right. will always be random because of, there's so many influences on the oceans and so forth that right. it isn't like, oh, it never comes here. But mm-hmm. what your book makes clear is that it's what we know. It's hurricanes, but they are stronger. This is a new beast. This is... Un- right, unimaginably exactly. worse than that. Oh, yeah. And, and um, wh- one yeah. thing I can tell you, in, in fact, anybody in the Virgin Islands can tell you who's my age or older, is that there is simply no linearity between a Category 4, even a strong Category 4, like we experienced Hugo in 1989, and a Category 5. I mean, they are literally night and day. So, for example, one of the ladies that I interviewed was actually the person who headed up at the time our recovery from Hurricane Hugo because of her high-level position in government at the time. And she said very plainly that she would rate the impact from Hurricane Hugo, a strong Category 4, 30 years ago almost, as only 25% that of Hurricane Irma. And only a quarter you know, of what Ermin is. Oh only a quarter. And, I mean, when you look at the numbers, when you look at how long it took power to be restored, when you look at the economic impact, when you look at the percentage of homes that were severely damaged, I mean, that number might even be high. That, but it, it, it has played out all across the board that Category 4, Category 5, night and day impact. And it's not that, you know, people. some people might think the Virgin Islands were destroyed and other islands were destroyed because we weren't built strongly, we weren't built up to par, but that is not the case no. at all. We are no, built strongly, are uh, yeah. concrete, you know, many, most people have concrete walls and roofs that are um, put on quite securely. Some people even had concrete bunkers and still found themselves literally blown outside their metal front door, hanging off their balconies with gashes, you know, across their heads. It's just the unprecedented intensity of these storms that it doesn't matter where a storm like a category five it's going to cause catastrophic destruction so it could be anywhere in the that's u.s right. and that's I right we had a catastrophic that, storm and yeah right the Irma diary we had one yes, in 1938 in the talks about the storm of 38 but yes what exactly, climate change exactly. teaches us is that it's not just once every hundred years. It's going to happen more and no, more frequently. No, it's going to happen more and frequently now, right? So that's two it's points not a I question want to make. It's only a question of when a Category exactly. Five will hit my neighborhood and here exactly. in Boston. You know. So there are two points I want to make about Hurricane Irma and the Irma Diaries. One, yes, Hurricane Irma. Yes, it happened in 2017, but it's not an event of our past. In many ways, it's a glimpse of our future. And if we're concerned about our future, we better pay attention to what happened in an event like Irma. And secondly, the Irma Diaries, even though it's set in the British Virgin Islands, it's not just a British Virgin Islands story. It's not just a Caribbean story. It's a global story because it has everything to do with this global issue of climate change. And Rob, just if I know I come in close to winding down, one of the points I want to make for all of the, the listeners out there who have some attachment to the British Virgin Islands that, you know, 
I feel very proud of the fact that I am given 50% of the profits from the sale of this book directly back to the British Virgin Islands to help us not just recover short-term, but to help us implement measures to build our long-term resilience to events like stronger hurricanes, more frequent floods, sea level rise, all of those things that will come as a part of the climate change package. So 25% of the profits go directly to the survivors who share their stories with me, and the other 25% of that 50 goes directly to our locally established independent climate change trust fund, which is there to implement projects and programs to help us not just adapt to climate change, but also reduce our own contribution to switch out to renewable energy, etc. Well, that's interesting. So the Climate Change Trust Fund isn't just to help survive and build resilience. It's also working on reducing emissions? Oh, definitely, yes. We recognize even as small islands that literally make less than a drop in the global bucket, we take seriously as well our our responsibility to reduce our carbon footprint, you know, as citizens of the world. Oh, I know. You guys are um, fabulous about that. You're really working yes. about it. Uh, but my book, reading your book makes me think about the need for communities to have a rainy day fund to um, oh, definitely. recover from hurricanes or to um, yes. have something available at the last minute to help people harden themselves before they attack or something. Because, um, you know, because insurance won't do it for you, you know, <laughs> Oh, and, and, no, oh, no, no, yeah. You know, you need to have, no. you need to definitely have, like you're saying, not just a fund um, for rainy day, but you need to have, um, you need to have systems that allow you to be resilient, that allow you to continue to function and bounce back when you do get such a severe blow. Yes. So one of the things I really hope to see out of this, Rob, is not just people reading the stories, but people actually engaging in a bigger conversation through through the website www.theomadiaries.com. One of the things I'm working on right now is creating an interactive space there in addition to everything else I mentioned where people, as they read the book, they can actually go and engage in a conversation, not just about the stories that they're reading, but again, that bigger issue of climate change or, you know, thinking about their own communities and how do we draw the lessons that we've learned from Hurricane Irma and try to make our own communities, wherever you are, you know, whether you're somewhere in the U.S. or even further afield, how, how can I use the lessons from Irma to make my community more resilient? Brilliant, because you've got the specific stories that we can relate to, you know, situations right. of getting a surfboard or the kid calling for his goggles because they had to get on a boat and he's finally going on a boat ride and so he wants his goggles. <laughs> I mean, these are things that we all relate to and, and all the family issues of trying to save loved ones um, yeah. are the kinds of things that we want to talk about. And so it's wonderful you're setting up a, a way for people to share their personal stories of fears and, and uh, survival um, right. and, and just and thoughts of how to avoid getting into those situations in the first place. Uh, this is yep, very exciting. Exactly. Yeah, Angela, so I think we are out of time. Sorry, go so ahead. I'm gonna we're out of time. So um wow, thank you that's for, gone so quickly. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Well can much. I just thank you so much for having me and for the opportunity to share this lesson and this uh, information with the audience. I do hope that people do, you know, expose themselves to this new this new global war through this the Irma Diaries and the stories it captures and also support recovery and resilience building in the Virgin Islands. Thank you, Angela. Thank you all for listening to Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. 
please take care of yourselves and then take, take some time to take care of this planet of ours. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us this week on Moyer's Environmental Dialogues. Please tune in for more with Dr. Rob Moyer next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again then. 